0: Afternoon, church. I'll try and get through it as quick as I can. I know it's incredibly warm. It's the best uh, I could have worn jeans today. But, uh, um, but um, I'll just start with saying it's, it is a privilege to be getting up here teaching God's word. Um, and I do it regularly through with a rooted uh, ministry. It's a bit different getting up here in front of you all. But, um, I'm looking forward to it. Psalm 96 is what we're going to be focusing on today. It's, um, as you'll see as we study through this psalm, it's, it's a psalm that's full of joy, full of uh, praise for God, and it really emphasizes his majesty, his glory as our creator of all living things. Um, but the psalm does end on an important note as well, that God is coming to judge the world according to his truth and righteousness, and uh, so we'll get onto that towards the end of the psalm as well. Um, you might notice in your Bibles that um, there's no author attributed to this psalm, but interestingly, it is included in its entirety in First Chronicles chapter sixteen, uh, verses twenty-three to thirty-three, which is part of a song sung by King David, a song of thanksgiving, as they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Um, and in First Chronicles sixteen seven, it says that on that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph, and so. You know, we can probably take that to be that David was the author of this psalm. and The psalm was taken from that psalm. Um, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the author of every single word. Yeah. So and that's what matters most, of course. Um, so I'll just get into reading the psalm throughout. Kevin gave us a little spoiler at the start. but we'll, uh, I'll just read the psalm right through, and then we'll get into, into some of the detail. So Psalm 96... Entitled in my Bible, A Song of Praise to God Coming in Judgment. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. "'Honor and majesty are before him. "'Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. "'Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. "'Give to the Lord glory and strength. "'Give to the Lord the glory due his name. "'Bring an offering and come into his courts. "'O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. "'Tremble before him all the earth. "'Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. "'The world is firmly established. "'It shall not be moved. "'He shall judge his peoples righteously.' Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming and he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Let's pray. Our oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day today, Lord. Thank You that we can. I thank you for this place we can meet. Thank you for the freedom we have to meet, Lord, to study your word, proclaim your word openly. I thank you for the time of worship we shared, Lord, where we can just sing songs of praise to you, Lord. And as we get into this joyful psalm, Lord, I just pray that it would remind us of the, the joy we are to have every day, Lord, from knowing you, from knowing the free gift of salvation and the eternity we will share with you, Lord. Let that bring us joy and peace every single day, Lord. Lord, I just pray you you be with us this time now, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit helps me just deliver the message you want people to hear today, Lord. And we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I I know you're all missing. Remember the days gone by when Pastor Kevin used to teach? (laughs) Uh, It's a long time ago, but um, I've done a sort of a breakdown of the psalm into four sections um, just to break it up a little bit. Um, so, this first section, which covers verses 1 to 3, I've entitled Our Worship. Um, and verses 1 and the first part of verse 2, as we've already read, Oh, sing the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. So, you know, the psalm starts as a great reminder of how we should approach our praise and worship to God. You know, it should be always be new, always be fresh, always be from the heart. Um, you know, of course, we should and can and do praise him for those things that are unchanging his promises his faithfulness his mercy his love his grace you know and these should be repeating themes and aspects of our praise however you know we do need to be careful that our praise and our prayers don't become sort of routine and repetitive um you know the world is the world uh, god is doing a new work in us And and through the world every single day, you know, we see answers to prayer. We see him revealing new truths through the Holy Spirit, through his word. We see new truths revealed every day. Um, We see him bringing lost souls to salvation. You know, and these things, these new works require new songs of praise to him. Um, You know, praise that recognizes our genuine thanksgiving for for what he is doing. You know, we've even noticed that as a family, as... um, you know, doing our sort of evening prayer time or when we come to pray before a meal. It's quite easy to get into the habit of saying a sort of similar prayer and, um, you know, w- without really deeply meditating on what you're saying. You know, it's not that you don't mean what you're saying, but it's just these things can become a bit of a routine. Um, and, you know, what I find helpful in those times is really uh, just meditating on who it is we're praying to. You know, in, in Hebrews 4.16, it says... We come boldly to the throne of grace, and you know, I find it helpful to um, really read about that throne that we boldly approach at that time. Um, So I won't get you to move around too much in the Bible today, but if you could just turn to Revelation 4, I'm just going to read Revelation 4, verses 2 to 8, I thought it'd be good to read about that throne of grace that we approach, as John so wonderfully describes here. So Revelation 4, 2 to 8. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold, crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a, like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I mean, how amazing to think that's the same throne we boldly approach in prayer. And, you know, if that doesn't sort of reinvigorate your prayer life or, you know, give you the right reverence of the God you're praying to, then I I don't know what will, to be honest. Um, And Charles Spurgeon um, said it well. He said, a new song, always new. Keep up the freshness of your praise. Do not drivel down into dull routine. We have new mercies to celebrate. Therefore, we must have new songs. You know, and Spurgeon refers there to new mercies. And you know, Jeremiah praised God in Lamentations 3.23 when he wrote God's mercies are new every morning. You know, Our lives and our praise should reflect that. You know, each morning as we sort of contemplate and meditate on God's mercy and his grace and his unfailing promises towards us, you um, should make our hearts spring with fresh praises. Um, and this command to sing new songs, it's seen right throughout the Psalms. I won't get you to turn to these, but in Psalm 33.3, 3, it says, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 98, 1, "Oh sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things his right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Psalm forty-four nine. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. And in Psalm one four nine one, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. You know, on a sort of a side note, you know, this is the reason why we do try to sort of quite regularly introduce new songs into our Sunday worship. I know Not everyone's too keen on having too many new songs uh, sort of introduced regularly, as it can be, I can appreciate it can be a bit of a distraction for your actual worship as you try to get used to new songs and learning new songs. But, you know, there is such a rich catalogue of songs out there that, you know, allow us to sing fresh praises to the Lord. I think we'd be um, wrong to neglect that. And, you know, and just as I said about our prayer and our praise um, becoming dull and routine at times, I, you know, we don't. We want to avoid the risk that even our corporate worship doesn't become like that, and we keep it fresh. Um, And then also we read that the psalmist writes that all the earth should sing to God and bless his name. When I read this, it reminds me of the worship we read of in Revelation 5.13, which reads, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such that are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And you know, what a glorious truth that one day we will be there in heaven. We will be sharing in that continual glorious praise and worship of the Father and the Son for eternity. Um, and then moving on to the second part of verse 2 and into verse 3, we read, Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all peoples. You know, and I know I've called this sort of section, verses 1 to 3, our worship. And, you know, we've talked about music and singing at the start, which what we usually typically refer to as our worship, and that's the worship team. But as Kevin just prayed then, you know, our worship is about far more than just singing songs of praise to him on a Sunday or just singing to him in general. You know, it's, it's ultimately prioritizing him in our lives and being obedient to him. And a big part of that obedience is evangelism. And, and as the psalmist writes here, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Um, the word translated as proclaim here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word bosa, which is to bring forth good tidings, to be cheerful and joyful. And you know, that's, that is the exact manner of how we're to bring forth the gospel message to people, to tell others of that salvation that's freely available to them. Um, you know, when there's joyous events in our lives that we want to share with others, whether like, you know, you become a parent, a grandparent, you get a new job. In my case, probably when I beat Josh in a game of chess. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's joyful and happy news. That you know, you you want not necessarily that one, but <laughs> you know, when you have joyful and happy news, you want to share it with others. You know, so how much more should we want to share that? the greatest news that there is, you know, that salvation that's available, the free gift of salvation and eternal life available to all and, and, you know, sharing that with everyone we, want, we come into contact with. Um, and I know that's not always easy. I can speak myself to that. You know, we often worry about the negative response we might receive or challenging questions we might receive. Um, we experienced a little bit of that when we, done a, we went last week, a week or so ago with Rooted down to the British Museum to do a, a sort of Bible tour. And you know we had a few cha- one or two challenging people and comments aimed our way as they heard Jesus' name being proclaimed. Um, but no, as, as born again believers, we have um, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. You know, He gives us the boldness yeah. to share with others. He gives us the words to say at those times where we might not have them ourselves. And as Paul wrote in Romans eight thirty one, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you know, and, the, and the psalmist here, he uses very sort of proactive words. To, to um, sing of how we should share the news of our Savior, he used to proclaim and declare. You know, we don't just sit passively and wait for people to ask us about Jesus. You know, although I would say our sort of our witness and our conduct to others and how we are different to the world should draw people to ask us questions and ask more about why we are, how we are, and more about Jesus. But ultimately, we should be actively taking the gospel to people and sharing it with them, and we're called to do that. Um, And then at the end of verse 3, and in verse 3, the psalmist tells us to declare God's glory and his wonders. And I always think, what better way to do that than for a believer to share their testimony with others, you know, to share how their life has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, how we have new lives in Christ. And, you know, what better way to declare the wonders that only God can perform than through our transformed lives? You know, and, and we attribute that to him, to no one else, and that brings him the glory he deserves. And then moving on to our sec- the second part of the psalm, verses four to six, which I've entitled God's Supremacy. Now the first part of verse four um, really encapsulates what we've just read um, in the first three verses, where he says, "For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised." And you know what better way to do that than to sing new songs to him every day, to proclaim the salvation available through his Son, and, and to bring and to declare his wonders and his glory among all peoples. You know, I would say however much. We could sit there 24 hours a day praising, praising the Lord, and it still wouldn't be enough to do justice just to how great he is and how greatly he is to be praised. Um, but then the psalmist takes a, a slight change of tone in the second half of verse 4 and on to verse 5. He sort of moves on to comparing God to false gods um, and how God is far superior to any other god, that man can invent, you know, you have to note the small g in the translation of false gods, you know, because there is only one true God whose name is to be illuminated and and recognized and differentiated from any other, you know, and we're told that God is to be feared above all gods, you know, and this is, he is the one true God and the only one who can bring judgment to all mankind, and I just wanted to look at one example of this, if you do mind turning taking the left hand turn back to exodus uh, second book of the Bible chapter 32 I'm just going to read a section from there verses one to four you know, you'll be familiar with this it's when you know Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness and uh, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law from God they built a golden calf to worship um, so yeah exodus 32 verses one to four says now when the people saw that Moses Saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, "Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him." And Aaron said to them, "Break off your go- break off the golden earrings which are in your ears and bring them to me." So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf then they said this is your God O Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt and you know I'm just going to look at the, you know, the fact they would do this given the, the context behind what they'd just been through it, it beggars belief really I mean you know they'd just been miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt they saw those plagues come down on Egypt um, you know, as they, were, as they fled Egypt and the Egyptian army were closing in on them, they saw the Red Sea part from in front of them and, and God miraculously delivered them again. You know, and then when they were in the wilderness complaining that they were hungry, he delivered manna from heaven, he delivered quail for them to eat. They complained they were thirsty, he provided them water. Um, and even more so than that, you know, Moses was up with them on the mountain at this point, but not long before, God himself had delivered the Ten Commandments to the people. In Exodus 20, in verses 1 to 5, it said, And God and God, spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth. Uh, sorry, all that is in the earth beneath, all that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, and after this, the Israelites were in such fear of this, they actually asked that God's message had come from only Moses speak to them God's word from now on. They didn't want, you know, they were so fearful and sort of scared they might even die that if God speaking to them that they asked that Moses only speak to them from now on. And, you know, and then after all that, Moses comes down after 40 days on the mountain to this idol worship. It's just shows the heart of man really doesn't it yeah. but, um, and I won't read through the whole of Exodus 32 but you know in verses 7 to 14 God shows that you know the jealousy that we just read of there when he said he wanted to consume them but Moses pleaded with God and God relented but he did also you know in verse 44, uh, 34 God did also say to Moses nevertheless in the day when I visit them for punishment I will, vi- I will visit punishment upon them for their sin you know, and we do know that that generation of Israelites didn't enter the promised land and that was a direct result of their disobedience and sin so you know, we can see from this example why the psalmist tells us that God is to be feared above all gods and that he is, a, you know, he is a righteous God and he is grieved by sin and then moving on to verse 6 it gives us some descriptions and characteristics of God it talks of his honour, of his majesty of his strength and his beauty you know, verse five tells us that the Lord made the heavens, which you know, tells you all you need to know about His strength. Um, and you contrast you contrast that to the golden calf we just talked about. You know uh, Exodus tells us that Moses burnt it in fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water. You know you compare that to the God that spoke the heaven and earth into existence. You know they, there's no comparison. Um, and to pick up on a couple of these other ones, majesty and beauty. You know, I think these are displayed nowhere more than in God's glorious creation itself. Um, you know, some of us were down on the beach last night, and that sunset down on the beach. You know, you look at that, and you, th- you know how anyone can think that came of just random chance, and there wasn't a glorious Creator that you know made that uh, is, um, is beyond belief, really. But um, in Psalm 19one one, we're told that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. You know, God created the world not because he needed to, but you know, he wanted to. You know, he wanted to, to bring that glory to himself that he deserves. And he wanted to allow us to dwell in it and to enjoy it with him. You know, sadly, obviously, sin entered the world and spoiled that to an extent, to a large extent, but, you know, through God's common grace, you know, all people are still able to see and enjoy the splendor of what he has made. You know, I'm sure 90-whatever percent of people down on that beach last night uh, you know, we're, we're unbelievers, but they still got to see and enjoy that marvellous creation. But that does lead us to an important and serious point. In Romans one twenty, Paul wrote that, For since the creation of the world, his invisible, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. You know, and so that, you know, that common grace, I said, that allows everyone to see his creation which displays his power, his majesty, his beauty, his strength that we're looking at. You know, Paul tells us, have no excuse for anyone not to come to an understanding that there is an all-powerful, majestic God that created everything around them. You know, by extension, if there's no excuse for them to come to that understanding, there's no excuse for them not to submit to him in obedience. Um, and that brings us on nicely to the third part of the psalm, which is verse 7 to the sort of first part of verse 9, which I've entitled, Our Obedience you know these verses tell us how our love for God should reflect in our hearts and in our lives you know the psalmist sings give to the lord three times in this section just like he said at the start of the psalm sing to the lord three times to you know emphasize the importance you know and we know if we walk in obedience to him he will provide us with everything we need according to his will he wants us to bring our requests to him he wants to shower us with love and and bless us but you know we're happy to do that and happy to receive from him all he's willing to bless us with. But how much do we give in return to God? You know he should be we should be giving him our thirst in everything. You know and he should sit on the throne of our hearts, and you know that should be in all areas of our life. But I just wanted to specifically look at a few specific areas of our life where this can apply. First one be in our thoughts. You know he should be our first thought we have when we wake up. How can I glorify God today? You know every decision we make every action we're about to take we should take it to god in prayer and we should consider you know is what i'm about to do or say going to bring glory to god you know if the answer to that is no then the logical decision is don't say it don't do it um our possessions you know verse eight says bring an offering and come into his courts and you know this leads me to think of the offering we give to church and i know you know the treasure's up here and i'm going to talk about the offering <laughs> Get, get your wallets out. No, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, we do all have our own ways and means of deciding how much we give, when we give, and, you know, the amount we give isn't what's, what's important at all. It's are we putting God first when we make that decision? You know, when we sit down, to, if you budget for the month or whatever, you know, we make a list. What, you know, is it our food, our bills, our mortgage, our insurances, you know, a little bit for socializing and all well, that thing I've been saving up for a while, and then get to the bottom, you know, is there anything left for God? Oh, you know, there's a few pounds left, I'll check that in this month, you know. That's not that's not how it should be, you know, God needs to be at the top of that list. And then, you know, I'm not saying we give every penny we have to God, but we do it sacrificially and we trust God to provide for the rest. You know, I'm sure, you know, many of us sort of, you know, come up with the amount we give each week or each month, however you do, it, and think, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I can give to the Lord this month. You know, with a genuine heart. But then, you know, we might go out a few days later and grab a couple of takeaways or buy that thing we've been sitting up for for a while. And, uh, you know, I'm not being legalistic and saying you can't go and spend your money on anything you enjoy. Of course not. But it's, it's about the heart. It's about putting him first in those decisions and sacrificing for him and him not being anywhere lower than the very top of that list. You know, you've got that example of, in Mark 12, the poor widow, and she gave two mites to the offering. You know, everyone around her was giving out the abundance of their wealth, and Jesus was sat there watching. And you know, he, he said to his disciples, "You know that, you know that that small, tiny amount that, that that widow there has given is, you know, it's more valuable, worth more than everything else that, that everyone else has put in that offering. You know, because it was a true sacrifice, a true heart for God and love for God. And and you know, that's, a, that's an amazing example for us all." And then the last thing I wanted to look at on this section is our time. That's probably one of the most important ways we can give to the Lord, whether that's in our study of his word, you know, in prayer, in serving the church, and in serving others. You know, If we're not investing time in his word, which is one of the primary ways he speaks to us, in prayer, which is the primary way we speak to him, then how can we possibly grow in our relationship with him? You know, you, you, we've got a wonderful, loving church family here, but, you know, how do we all know each other? How do we all love each other? It's, we, we get to know each other. We speak to each other. We share our lives with each other. We fellowship together, and it's the same with the Lord. It's exactly the same. If we're not putting that time in with the Lord, we're not going to get to know him, and we're not going to, you know, and if anything, we'll probably be living with sort of at least one foot in the world, and uh, the scripture's clear, we can't do that. You know, Jesus had strong words about this in, in Matthew six twenty four, He said that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. If you can't serve God and mammon. Which is Sort of wealth and possessions. Um, and then I said about seeking to serve others. And you know, what is most likely to be appreciated and needed when you're looking to serve others and seek out the needs of people is your time. Whether that's, you know, grabbing a coffee with someone for an hour or spending the evening with someone you know is lonely or in need of companionship and fellowship or whether someone you know needs to talk about something in particular and they need some wise counsel. I mean, 2 Timothy 3.17 tells us that the word of God is given to us so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, it doesn't say the pastor is equipped for every good work. You know, it applies to us all. It's every believer in Christ. We're all called a minister and counsel to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, and to do that, we all need to know the word of God to be able to do that. Or, or you know, another way of serving is, could be helping practically. Even something as simple as giving someone a lift in your car, you know. Sounds simple, but it's still serving. You know, and sometimes we won't want to do these things. We might not have a lot of time or, you know, busy day at work. We're feeling tired or, you know, we had our own plans. We fancied sitting down watching some TV or whatever it might be. But Paul wrote in Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, through love, serve one another. You know, ultimately, if you are going to choose your own feelings and what you fancy doing in those circumstances, you are serving the flesh. You know, and that's contrary to that sacrificial love and compassion that we're called to show. And you know, it's the same love and compassion that Jesus showed showed to us on the cross. And then just coming on to the final section of um, of the psalm in in verses the end of verse nine up to the end of verse thirteen. I've entitled this section God's judgment. Um, and in verse, the second part of verse nine says, "Tremble before him, all the earth." Now, tremble here—that comes from the Hebrew word "cool," I think it's pronounced—which gives the idea of sort of writhing in pain or fear. You know, I suppose it's the best way you could look at it is that instinctive reaction that someone gives when they're about to get hurt, or or see something happen that they can't do anything about, or when they do get inflicted with pain or what it might be. But the point being that. You know, God's judgment should be something that brings a strong sense of fear to us. Well, I say to us, but to those who reject him. Um, you know, we're no longer subject to God's judgment for sin, thanks to the blood of Christ. You know, and the psalmist says that all the earth will tremble. And and this brought to my mind um those bold judgments that God is gonna pour out on the earth in the in during the tribulation at the end times. And um I won't ask you to turn there, and I won't read the whole, whole sec- uh, the whole verse, uh, chapter, sorry. But what I will do is just read the headings that it's got in my Bible for each judgment. I know they're man-made headings, but they give a good, they give a good sort of um, idea of why the whole earth should be trembling when that time comes. So you've got the first bowl, which is loathsome sores. The second bowl, the sea turns to blood. The third bowl, the waters turn to blood. The fourth bowl, men are scorched. The fifth bowl, darkness and pain. The sixth bowl, Euphrates dried up. And the seventh bowl, the earth utterly shaken. And um, remember at that time, well, I believe anyway, I know there's various beliefs on this, but my belief is that the church won't be present during this time. I believe we will have been raptured prior to the tribulation. The reason I believe this is that I just can't comprehend in my mind how a, a loving God would call us to salvation, bless us, call us, you know, shower his love on us, and then want to put us through those final days, those days when, you know, you think the world's evil now, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit's been removed and, you know, there's no restrainer there, and that, that'll be a true time of evil, and I just struggle to see how God would allow us to go, the church to go through that time, and yes, I know there will be tribulation saints on the earth at that time, those who come to salvation during the tribulation. But this judgment ultimately is for those who have rejected the Lord and have not called on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then moving on to verse 10, the, the psalmist tells us that the world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. And you know, to me, that tells us that the world, God created the world perfectly just as he designed it. I mean, you can look around the world today and think, well, you know, you look at the various things going on and the sort of evil and deception that around us, and you think, well, it do, certainly doesn't sort of point to a world that's firmly and perfectly created by God, but, you know, we know the reason for that is sin and the fall. Um, and in the creation account, don't need to turn there, in Genesis 1, you know, before sin entered the world, it says at various stages of creation that God saw that it was good, you're know, In Genesis one ten, and I'll repeat it for emphasis, Genesis, uh, Genesis 1.10, it said, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. Verse 18, God saw that it was good, is a the theme. And verse 21, God saw that it was good. You're know, In fact, in verse 31, at the end of the sixth day of creation, it says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. You know, and we've just read of those bold judgments that are to come and be poured out on the world as part of God's final judgment. And we also know at the end of the millennial reign of Christ that there will be, as Revelation 21 says, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. But yet we see the psalmist says that... um, I've lost it. Uh, the earth shall not be, the world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. But, you know, that's not a contradiction. But, you know, Scripture makes it clear it will only be moved and will only pass away through the will and the perfect timing of God. You know, no man can save the world as much as <laughs> many think they can or destroy the world even. Only God has that right and has that power to do so. And then moving to the final three verses, verses 11 to 13, you know, actually, we're told in verse 10 that God comes to judge the peoples righteously. And in verse 13, he says, He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. You know, we are God's creation. We are called to serve him, to worship him and glorify him. And as such, only he has the authority to judge mankind. You know, and as he is a perfect and holy God, so his judgments are perfect and holy. You know, And they're righteous and they're just, as we read in Psalm 89:14. It says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You know, and so being fair and being just is in the very fabric of God's nature. You know, so you know, what does that mean to us? Well, it means that every single person in the world is going to be judged, and they're going to be judged to the same standard. There's no discrimination. We're each held to the same standard. And we know that that standard that God holds us to is absolute holiness and perfection, just as he is holy and perfect. You know, I suppose there's there's some bad news that comes with that, you know, because of sin, because we are born into sin. None of us, not one of us, will ever be able to achieve that standard of ourselves. You know, and and we all, every single one of us, deserves rightly to be found guilty in God's eyes, in front of God. And we know the punishment for that guilty verdict is eternal separation from the presence of God, eternity of misery. You know, and that is the only fair outcome every single person to be born except for one jesus you know as we all apart from him fall short of the glory of god um you know many non-believers will come up to you and say oh how unfair is it that your god allows people to die and save and go to hell but it's quite the opposite it's the fairest outcome for everyone for everyone for their sin but you know after that bit of a downer there is good news (laughs) you know through god's mercy you know he did send his only son, the only begotten son, Jesus, to the world to dwell as a man and to live that perfect, holy, sinless life that none of us will ever achieve of our own. The reason he done this is that he would die on the cross and be that perfect sacrifice. You know, we're told in, in Scripture that the wages of sin is death and the only atonement for sin is the death of a perfect sacrifice and there's only one that could be that perfect sacrifice and that's Jesus You know, he didn't just come to die for some sins, or some of those that aren't quite as bad as others, or the sins of some people. He chose he he died for all sin. You know, no S at the end, all sin. You know, and to complete his work, he rose again from the grave and he conquered death and conquered sin once and for all. And that is a wonderful truth for those of us here who accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. You know, he is that perfect sacrifice for sin. And now we can stand innocent before God. No, and how is that? Well, we accept that we are sinners. We accept that we are in need of saving from our sin. It's not enough to accept we are sinners. We need to accept that we need saving from that sin. And we have to accept that the only way to be saved from that sin is accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. and If we do all that, we accept all those things, we are cleansed through the blood of Christ. We are a new creation in him. Colossians 3.3 3 tells us that for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees an innocent man standing before him. And Second Corinthians 5.21 says that for he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness righteousness of God in him. You know, and the psalmist tells us that God is coming to judge with righteousness and we're now counted as righteous through the righteousness of Christ. We praise the Lord for that. I know it's a bit warm, but getting on to my final point now. Um, just wanted to, the final thing I did want to look at is end on, end on a joyful note. You know, we looked at how all those who reject God should tremble because of the judgment and wrath to come and we read of some of that. But then in these verses, they're such joyful verses, verses 11 to 13. In fact, I'll read them again. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the fields be joyful and all that is in it. And all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. And that's the important thing. Why is this rejoicing happening? Why is creation rejoicing? For he is coming. He's coming back to, re- to earth to reign. You know? His second coming, at the end of that tribulation we've looked at and talked about, he's going to take his rightful place on the throne of David. He's not only going to do that, he's going to bring a time of peace. You know, At that time, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. In Jeremiah 3.17, it tells us that, At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. And in Micah four three, it adds that nation shall not lift, lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, things won't be perfect at that time. There will be a time after that when things will be perfect, as we'll look at. But at that time, there still will be those born during that time that will make a decision not to submit to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But he is ruling on earth at that time, and we're told he's ruling with a rod of iron. And so there will be peace on earth. And Scripture tells us in Revelation that at the end of that millennium, Satan will be released. he will raise up a final rebellion against Christ, but he will be defeated for good, for the final time. He already is defeated, mortally wounded. but we're told he is cast into the lake of fire. and that's when the good, and that's when the good stuff really starts you yeah? know yeah. at that time we usher, you know, that ushers in our new the new eternal heaven and earth that are promised to us in revelation 21 and 22. And, you know, for anyone here who does confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I do just want to end with a few descriptions of this eternal home that we get to look forward to. You know, a time when things will be perfect for eternity, a time that we should all keep our eyes fixed firmly on. Amen. And if we do that, then, you know, we should make all our trials and troubles and problems of this earth truly pale into insignificance. Revelation four. It says, "And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And in Revelation 22, three to five it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb and of the lamb shall be in it, and his servants, as says, shall serve him." They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor sun of the light. uh, Sorry, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Church, are you looking forward to reigning with God forever and ever? I know I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just. Well. What else can I thank you for, Lord, for that time where we will reign with you forever and ever in eternity, Lord? We can't even, in our in our finite minds, Lord, really, truly imagine what that time will be like, but we know it will be perfect. We will have nothing more, no more worries, no more pain, no more suffering, no more problems, Lord. We will just have our eyes fixed on you, Lord. I can't imagine there will be time to do anything else, Lord, other than to just... Praise and worship you. Lord, while we still are here on this earth, I just thank you for that joy and peace that we still can have from knowing your truth, from knowing that our sin is nailed to the cross, Lord. So, Lord, I just I do thank you again for this time, Lord. I just uh, pray that we, we're all worshipful in this final song of praise that we're going to sing to you, Lord. Let it be just music to your ears, Lord, Let us sing from our hearts and let us just be full of praise for you, Lord. It will never be enough, but we can, Lord, just give us hearts to praise to you. Just as much as we can, Lord, and uh, we just want to give you all the praise and the glory for everything you do and everything you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.